Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Yeah, all of that. It's life, isn't it, Ross, really? You know, just life for me. I think to, to live life and to know people and to open your eyes and your ears and your heart to people and life, I think it does just evoke that motivation to be helpful to people because we all suffer you know that's that's the thing you know suffering is a part of life and sometimes we suffer because of awful things that happen to us and sometimes we suffer because we kind of choose to do stuff and that kind of makes us suffer and and sometimes we suffer because of all of the anguish that's just simply going on in our own minds and I, I think that's it you know life if we open ourselves up to it and open ourselves to suffering, life just invites us to want to be helpful and to want to help others and, and by doing that, you know, help ourselves. P-Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week it's part one of my chat with Dr Stan Steindl, clinical psychologist, author, expert in motivational interviewing and compassion-focused therapy, and YouTube influencer. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun, to nourish your mind, to flourish at work. We cover loads more in our chat, including the evolution of Stan's career, his research, his love of motivational interviewing and compassion-focused therapy, and how he combines them in his work. You can also hear him reflect on the evolution of his motivation to help others, and he selects a song that sends shivers up his spine. In other news, reviews are in for part two of my chat with Diana Hill. Over on Twitter, Anne Parkinson said, Absolutely loved this. So much packed into this and so many takeaways, including act creating freedom to choose, living a values-aligned life, non-attachment, expanding and rooting, opening the heart, impermanence and falling on purpose. I love the hermit crab analogy. A fantastic listen. Well, thank you so much, Anne, and thanks to everyone who listened, shared, and reviewed the episode. It's been a very popular one. As part of Season 4, I'm inviting you to the cinema. The link is now live, and you can bag your free ticket to see work songs via the link in the show notes at rossmackintosh.co.uk. We're really proud to be sponsoring a screening of the documentary, Work Songs, by filmmaker Mark Street from Brooklyn in collaboration with Argo Pictures. Work Songs was finished just months before the pandemic hit. The film examines how workers from all walks of life found meaning in their jobs. The P-Super virtual screening runs from the 21st of May to the 31st of May. You can get your tickets now to watch it in your own time between those dates. It's a kaleidoscopic portrait of the United States at work. Interviews with cab drivers, longshore women, a farmer, a barista and others discuss threats from automation, the gig economy and the decline of the unions. I found the film to be absolutely captivating. And once you've got your free ticket and watched the documentary, you'll also be able to send in your questions for the director, Mark Street, as he'll be a future guest on the show. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it. Whatever platform you're on, 
It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, why not drop some change into our virtual tip jar? Every £3 is most gratefully received, and you can find the jar over at ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part one of my conversation with Stan. Dr. Stan Steindl, welcome to People Soup. Thank you very much. It's it's a joy to have you here. As I said to you, I'm speaking from my the home where I grew up. I'm visiting my dad up in rural Northumberland. We think the connection's okay, but um, fingers crossed. It's pretty miraculous, really, when you think about it. I'm in rural Northumberland in the UK, and you're way over on the other side of the world. I'm here in Australia, <laughs> Brisbane. I can hardly imagine what it must be like all the way over there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah likewise. So, so Stan, as a, as a pea super, you'll be familiar that I have a research department. I love this. Sometimes their investigations are better than others. So I'm going to tell you what they found out about you. So they say that Stan has been a registered psychologist and practicing clinical psychologist since 1993 and works full time in private practice. His PhD examined the relationship between post-traumatic stress disorder and alcohol dependence among people suffering from combat-related trauma. How are we doing so far? That's completely accurate. I, I often have in my mind who on earth this research department is. <laughs> and I, I imagine <laughs> little minions, you know, finding things out. But uh, no, that's, that's right. Clinical psychologist? Hmm. Yeah. So let me continue, Stan. So it says he has a broad private practice experience working with men, women, adolescents, couples and families. And you also work extensively with war veterans and other sufferers of stress and trauma. Things like motor vehicle accident victims and victims of crime. Your areas of interest include the treatment of anxiety, depression, stress and trauma, alcohol, drug and smoking addictions, work-related stress and adjustment difficulties, grief and loss, and anger management problems. Wow, I've got more. I've got more, Stan. They found quite a lot. It says he's also got uber skills in motivational interviewing. And you trained ah. in the US in 2007 and is a member of Mint, which sounds like a fabulous organization to belong to. I'd love just to say that I'm a member of Mint. Uh, I don't know what it means, to be honest. And he frequently presents and trains on the topic. Yes, well, I, I, it does sound, it does sound like a lot. But yes, it's a it's it's a fairly general clinical practice and and working across all of those those areas. But the motivational interviewing bit really comes in with working with addictions. And my PhD was with veterans who both had post traumatic stress disorder and alcohol dependence, and so. That really is where the, the segue is for me with um, you know, trying to, to build motivation. MINT stands for the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. But yes, it, it is a, a nice thing to, to say about oneself, I guess. I'm a member of MINT. <laughs> I think it's also for me the resonances. It's a word in the northeast where I'm originally from, up near Newcastle. And if something's really good, you say, well... Wayman, that's mint. <laughs> so it, it has that kind of resonance with me. We're already getting a sense, Stan, of how you experience and your 
your journey and your career has led you to blend different things together. I love it. And I've got some more. Okay. It says he's, he's also a hell of a dude in the field of compassion-focused therapy and presents lectures and workshops on this topic. And heck, folks, he's also written a book called The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering. And I have to give a big shout-out to your YouTube channel, which for me is a great source of inspiration and stuff I can nick, to be honest, Stan which covers all your interests, and you've also got a great series called Compassion in a T-Shirt in Session. And, spoiler alert, folks, I will be a future guest on that. We've actually recorded it. So that was a very invigorating and fun session we had last week. Exactly, yes. Thank you for, for, for doing that too. The compassion-focused therapy is my other professional love. Mot motivational interviewing and, and compassion-focused therapy, that... They're my two loves. Mm, thank you. I've got a little bit more. A clinical consultant and adjunct associate professor at the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland. And you also helped establish the Compassionate Mind Research Group at University of Queensland. And you're involved in research projects on the topic of shame and trauma, compassion, self-compassion, and motivational interviewing. So blimey. Stan, you're a busy lad. <laughs> yes, the Compassionate Mind Research Group at, at UQ, that was set up by Dr. James Kirby and myself some years ago. James is certainly doing a, a lot of work in, in research and, and so on through UQ. I'm something of a of an amateur researcher, really. I, but, uh, but yes, I in, enjoy some of that as well. It does feel a bit bit busy, doesn't it? I I um, didn't sleep very well last Monday night, and I, I wondered whether there's just too much on my mind. <laughs> but I slept well last night, so I'm good. I'm very very chirpy today. <laughs> Brilliant. I can I can see that as yeah. well, Stan. And there's one last thing they've they've uncovered. I don't know where they get this from, but they say they have it on good authority. My research department from a contact in the movie industry that you're in a short list of three candidates to star as the eye candy male lead in the remake of Point Break, 100% Adrenaline. <laughs> now, now, as far as I know, Point Break is a surfing movie. Yeah. Apparently so, yes. I, I, um, my, my agent hasn't told me about this opportunity yet, but uh, that sounds interesting. Oh, gosh, maybe we're a bit ahead of the curve, Stan, because they say the other people on the shortlist are someone called Hudson Smith and a fella called Pete. And mm. the location could be Point Cartwright Light. Absolutely. Well, yes, my, my old schoolmates, Hudson Smith and Peter Cribb, Simon Richardson, Steve Smith. We're sort of a something of a surfing gang. I guess. Mind you, it was much more impressive in the 90s when I was slightly younger and fitter. Now it's more, you know, half an hour in the small swell and, and then we go and get coffee. <laughs> Maybe it's a more sort of genteel version of, of Point Break. Much more <laughs> genteel. The, 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 um, anything around two foot is is probably pretty good i mean i i'm turning 50 a little bit later this year ross so uh, mm -hmm. 
I have to be careful with my hamstrings and things like that. But yeah, still oh. surfing, still surfing. And, and uh, actually tomorrow morning, I'm going to a place called Stradbroke Island, where Point Lookout at Stradbroke Island, there's some great surfing to be had over there as well with that very same crew. So maybe, maybe there'll be news on the film by then. Yes, we'll see. Or maybe, maybe that news could inspire you chaps to do a sort of your own film. Mm. But actually, Stan, I think you've got enough on your to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just do some selfies on the weekend and that might have to do. <laughs> right, Stan, enough of my nonsense. I wonder if we could just dive into your career a bit, maybe expand on how your career evolved with some with some maybe key moments. I wonder if you'd share a bit of that with, with me and the P-Supers. Hmm. It's an interesting opportunity to, to reflect back on that sort of thing. I, I've kind of told some of these stories, you know, before a little bit, but um, really what happened was I had a, a fairly rough year in grade 11 as many of us do, I suppose. And I was exposed to a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which was by Viktor Frankl. And that is probably the first major moment in which I really became interested in in psychology and, and helping people. And I managed to do just enough in high school to then get into a Bachelor of Arts at University of Queensland. And then first year was slightly chaotic in terms of, you know, mainly having fun. But then I started to, you know, get a bit more serious and and, uh, by fourth year and then, then the masters, I was kind of trying a little bit harder. But I worked early on in alcohol and drug services. And so that was a fairly important kind of initiation into the world of of trying to be helpful and with people who uh, were facing difficult challenges in in their lives and and addiction uh, is a is is very difficult one to change on you know on the one hand there's some well really uh, obvious suffering that goes along with addictions but on the other hand it often isn't enough to to help people change uh, i remember professor bill miller who was one of the developers of motivational interviewing he he sort of said that if negative consequences were enough to help people change their addictive behaviors we wouldn't have addictions <laughs> because mm. it just comes along with a lot of negative consequences, pain and suffering. And so that was some of my really early work. And, and it was after that that I did my PhD looking at uh, helping combat veterans with, with PTSD and alcohol dependence. I was really fortunate to have a, a PhD supervisor, Professor Ross Young, that was also at the University of Queensland. And he really introduced me, first of all, to motivational interviewing and did a lot of my early training and supervision around, around MI 
and he was something of an MI trainer as well, although I don't think he was a member of Mint back then. But um, anyway, that, that really inspired me to uh, further my skills in motivational interviewing. I did a train the trainer training with Bill Miller and his colleague, Terry Moyers. And that was in about 2007. So I toddled off to, to Chicago in, in America and, and did my MI Train the Trainer training and became a, a member of Mint. And so, yeah, that was a, a, a major turning point for me. It, it helped in terms of my clinical skills and, and working with addictions and, and other health behavior changes as well. But I also really started to do a lot more training and training in introductory MI and training advanced MI and going around at least around the country here in Australia, sort of getting to to meet and work with a whole range of people. At one stage there, I was doing a lot of work with the Heart Foundation because, you know, as you can imagine with the Heart Foundation, it's often a number of the usual suspects, you know, um, drinking, smoking, diet, exercise, you know, these are these are some of the common and important areas of, of health behaviours that, that we might work with in terms of heart health. So I've mm-hmm. been doing a lot of training in, in motivational interviewing around the place. Uh, and then probably about 2014 went to some workshops uh, by Professor Paul Gilbert and others and really started to get exposed as well to compassion focused therapy and I think it really all started to come together for me it 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 made a lot of sense you know the the you're working with people who were really suffering from those those early years moving into motivation trying to work out how can we help to motivate people to or or to help people find their own motivation to change in a way that alleviates their suffering and then moving into compassion focused therapy which is all about compassion as a motivation and and so there was this sort of coming together of all of these things for me really with with cft and so yeah started to do to receive training in cft but also now delivering various workshops and and other sessions on on cft and actually i i try to do this little kind of combo of motivational interviewing for compassion focused therapy is is probably my niche of sorts you know that's what i like to to work on because people have a lot of fears blocks and resistances to compassion and so they feel ambivalent about it you know on the one hand they know it's a it's a good idea not to be so critical, but on the other hand, you know they don't want to get too self pitying. So you know, motivational interviewing is a great way to help people to to navigate that sort of ambivalence as well. And and so that's probably brought us up to where I'm at at the moment, trying to to sort of do that that work of of MI and and CFT and and sort of spread the news the youtube channel and and the book and and all these things that's all about really trying to disseminate what i think is some just rich important ideas and information to everyone thanks dan i I absolutely hear you and and kudos to you for the work you are doing to disseminate i'm really interested in this intersection and you're 
your creativity about combining the motivational interviewing with compassion-focused therapy, because I think it, it hits on one of the things I'm finding in my journey in bringing compassion to organizations. It's that hurdle of, oh, mate, here's Ross with his fluffy, pink, huggy tree type stuff, and it wouldn't really work in an organization, would it? Because we've got stuff to do. So it really speaks to that for me. And I think it really shines through in your book as well. And we'll come back to that. Mm. And what I was really interested in is for our listeners who haven't heard of motivational interviewing, how would you describe it to someone? Uh, mm. Well, the, the key premise is that if we try to tell people what to do or we try to convince them to change or we give them a whole range of logical arguments about, you know, why they should change or that they need to change. The danger is that they will actually just start arguing back. <laughs> They'll start arguing with us. And so there we are saying, you know, you, it would be a really good idea for you to start exercising. And then they say, yeah, but I don't have time to start exercising. So we, we sometimes get caught in that kind of discord. Uh, especially health professionals, but it really does relate, I think, to a whole range of scenarios, including in the workplace. You know, the, the managers who are really trying to motivate their staff only to get these yes buts coming back. And so motivational interviewing is trying to find a way to have a helpful conversation, a conversation that doesn't become discord and resistance, but rather the helper or the listener is finding ways to be evocative. You know, how, the, how can I help the other person make their own arguments for change or action or whatever it might be? A, a good colleague of mine, Helen Mentha, she sometimes says, we, we want to give the other person all the good lines. So sometimes if we think to ourselves, oh, I really want to tell this person this reason to change or something like that. We need to stop and think, how can I evoke that from them? How can I give them the good lines so that actually they're the ones that are making their own arguments for change? Because, you know, actually, who are we to know best, really? You know, that actually it, it is up to them and we want to respect their choices and, and we want to really support their autonomy in all of that. So MI really is actually a way to have a conversation with people that evokes the other person's own arguments for change without getting caught up in, in discord and, and resistance. Thank you. And I love that we want them to come up with the good lines. Hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I love the way it respects the context of the person you're working with. They will have a context around them and going on between their ears. And for, for someone like you or me to say, oh, here's the answer. It doesn't work. I know that as a coach. You know that in all your work. It doesn't tend to work. You tend to get probably more resistance. Mm. It is interesting. You know, sometimes we're, we're actually tripped up by our own enthusiasm. You know, we, we feel like, ah, I know what they could do. I know what would help I, I, if they could just do this one thing everything would be so much better 
for them or you know so it's it's usually not coming from a negative place or, or a bad place it's just that we get excited about something we try to tell them and and kind of convince them and then all of a sudden they're arguing back and we're like but this is good stuff you know why, why aren't you listening to my advice and and so we're wanting to step back from that and, and really be much more evocative and of course in compassion focused therapy or mindful self-compassion or other compassion based approaches you know we often feel very enthusiastic about compassion and self-compassion and that it's a good idea but we have to be careful of that dynamic i think that 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 people will have their fears blocks and resistances and if we come up against those then actually they'll, they'll just convince themselves not to do it you know i i know what i believe when i hear myself speak and so if we talk to people and we try to convince them about compassion and self-compassion and all that does is evokes from them a whole bunch of arguments about why it's not right for them then that, that that's what they'll be convinced by is their own their own arguments against it beautiful i love the way you describe that it really resonates with me and if i wanted to attend one of your trainings as a as a participant as someone who's not been trained in motivational interviewing would that be possible from this side of the globe <laughs> well uh, a lot of my training is really done sort of in-house with organizations at the moment so for example well just last night i did a, a webinar with swps university in in poland dr julia val organized that and so i had the the wonderful opportunity to to sort of do some training through online webinar with students there um, so there are so those sorts of opportunities happening they, they tend to be in-house at the moment though next year i've i've got a really big schedule of of training at, at one of the major health departments here in 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 australia and and so it tends to be things like that to be honest I'm taking that as a not never. I'm taking that the door still maybe opens. I know no idea how that would work, Stan, but um, I'd love to be trained by you in in motivational interviewing. Maybe I just need to find my way into one of these organisations. <laughs> well, I think there could be opportunities down the road. I, I have done some workshops for the Compassionate Mind Foundation, for example, and that was a, a motivational interviewing for compassion focused therapy i would love to do more of those so we'll see it's possible hey you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> stan it's great to hear a bit more about your career and i really see this strong theme of of helping others how, how did that develop in your life yes it's it's an interesting thing isn't it it's hard to quite know what contributed to that to be honest i come from a long line of medical people on my mother's side my mum was a gp a general practitioner and her mum was a gp and actually later in her career became uh, more interested in in counseling as well she was more of the fritz pearls ilk uh, but she introduced me to carl rogers he gave me 
the book on becoming a person. And so that was my granny. Her husband, my grandfather, was also a, a doctor and a urologist, actually. And his father was a doctor, if I remember rightly. And then his father was a educator. He, he was the one that came out from the UK and came to Australia and was eventually the vice chancellor of UQ. So <laughs> there's these funny little connection points everywhere. So yeah, there's a kind of a, a, a helping, almost helping gene, maybe. I don't, I'm not sure, but maybe there's a helping gene that gets passed down the line <laughs> or something. Uh, I didn't get quite the marks to get into medicine, of course, nor do I think I, I wanted to be a doctor per se. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of some of the the nitty-gritty of, of medicine. Um, I was much more inspired by the idea of, of, of psychology and therapy and, and being helpful. Mm. And um, reading Viktor Frankl and reading Carl Rogers, I then, as a 19-year-old, was a telephone counsellor at Kids Helpline here in, in Australia and um, did that for a couple of years and I was always enjoying voluntary work even back then as a older teenager or, or younger adult I used to do some volunteer work at I guess what was called a special school at that stage for people with profound intellectual and, and physical disabilities and was just drawn to that sort of even now uh, over COVID, I, I started volunteering for Meals on Wheels, actually, <laughs> because some of the drivers were of an age where they really had to, you know, themselves lock down. And so I to do some, some driving around and delivering meals to people and that sort of thing, and that sort of felt good. So I, I'm not really sure, but, but all of that, you know, sort of plays into it, I, I guess. And... There's also been a number of really important mentors, supervisors along the way. Roger Dooley is probably the the fellow here that influenced me as a therapist the most. He, he's a, a local private clinical psychologist as well, and he, he sort of supervised me in, in, over a number of years, and we still catch up for peer supervision. So, yeah, that it's it's a funny thing to think about, isn't it? And, and of course... My own uh, emotional journey, there was the, the stuff in grade 11 and, and my daughter has a, a fairly severe medical condition, long-standing problem, which um, I won't go into in too much detail for her own sake, but suffice to say that it was very challenging and, and as a, an eight-month-old and from then on, really, there were tough times and... and trying to sort of navigate all of that and and you know there's there's sort of trauma in that but there's also growth you know that comes through those sorts of experiences she's now 18 or just about 19 and she's managing her her stuff you know doing nursing and and in second year uni herself now she doesn't go to uq which of course uh, 
<laughs> I had to cope with. <laughs> but uh, she goes to, to QUT, <laughs> which is another great uni here in, in Brisbane. So uh, we had a chuckle about that. But um, yeah, all of that. It's life, isn't it, Ross, really? You know, just life for me. I think to, to live life and to know people and to open your eyes and your ears and your heart to people and life, I think it does just evoke that motivation to be helpful to people because we all suffer. You know, that's that's the thing. You know, suffering is a part of life and sometimes we suffer because of awful things that happen to us and sometimes we suffer because we kind of choose to do stuff and that kind of makes us suffer and and sometimes we suffer because of all of the anguish that's just simply going on in our own minds and I, I think that's it you know life if we open ourselves up to it and open ourselves to suffering life just invites us to want to be helpful and to want to help others and and by doing that you know help ourselves thank you so much for your willingness just to re- to reflect on that rather inelegantly structured question i really appreciate that stan i think it's really illuminating to hear your openness now, now stan there's, there's a question i ask my guests about a song a song that they'd use to announce their arrival in a room whether it's a real room or a virtual room whether it's work or at home yes well as i as i said to you before we started our recording you know part of me would like to say you know who let the dogs out Uh, um, which would be a perfectly legitimate choice (laughs) well i am a major fan of dogs i i I love dogs i have a, a chocolate labrador of my own and he's one of my best mates and definitely a source of of great comfort and, and compassion. But no, I, my, my favourite song of all time, really, and, and I always go back to it, is Imagine by John Lennon. I, I feel like there's so much uh, wisdom there and this really beautiful invitation to just imagine what life could be. You know, like imagine... Imagine if we did this, or imagine if we did that. This, this, it just invites us to be curious about perhaps steps we could take, intention that we could set, you know, actions mm. that would actually make for a, a better time for all of us, a better time on, on this planet. So uh, if I was to walk into a room and hear that C chord playing on the piano... You know, that would probably, well, it, it, it actually, it sends shivers up my spine just thinking about it. So I think that has to be the one that we'll go with. Brilliant. Thank you. And I love, I love the way you, you reflect on sort of evoking that curiosity in the listener. Imagine if, and then what mm. kind of, and then what would you do? It feels very consistent mm. with your whole body of work as well. Mm. Yes, I, I think so. I think uh, I know you're a big fan of, of curiosity and I am very keen on, on, on curiosity and creativity and imagination and trying to think, you know, what next or what about 
this or um, trying to, to, to sort of, you know, discover little things through creativity. Thank you, Stan. And I'm a big fan of Bruno too, so the more photos the better of him. Yes, old Bruno, the, the chocolate Labrador. He's, uh, I think he's just on the other side of those doors. He's, he'll be out there waiting patiently and then he'll be fairly insistent on dinner, I think, shortly. I don't want to hold up Bruno, so I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to move us on, Stan. Okay. And I'd love to to really dive into your book, just to mm. learn a bit more about that, The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering. And I was fortunate enough to, to read a copy, and I would like to start this segment with my review, if I may. Oh, yes, please. Love to hear it. Hey Supers, that's it, part one in the bag. You know what they say, always leave them wanting more. And part two is an absolute cracker. Thanks to Stan for being such a fab guest. You'll find the links to his website and the book on the show notes, as well as his YouTube channel. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. I love to hear from you, P-Supers, whether you're a regular or whether this is your first listen. You can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on the Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. And to you for listening. Look after yourselves, P-Supers, and bye for now. Something of a surfing gang, I guess. Mind you, it was much more impressive in the 90s when I was slightly younger and fitter. Now it's more, you know, half an hour in the small swell and, and then we go and get coffee.